Welcome to First in Future, where emerging ideas take flight. This weekly podcast is presented by North Carolina State University's Institute for Emerging Issues. And now to our host, the director of the Institute for Emerging Issues, Leslie Boney. Welcome to First in Future Live, a bi-weekly program of North Carolina State's Institute for Emerging Issues. I'm Leslie Boney, the director of the Institute for Emerging Issues, and this is a show about disasters. And September is a month where people in North Carolina think about disasters more than probably any other time. It's the middle of hurricane season, and hurricanes come by various paths to North Carolina, causing severe flooding, which will be the main focus of today, uh, on the coast, but also in other parts of the state. If you are over 40 and lived in Charlotte at the time, you remember the devastation of Hurricane Hugo as it came through the state. Uh, In 1996, Hurricane Fran arrived on the coast, but then cut up through the state and ultimately knocked out power for 1.7 million people in North Carolina. We also know that storms can come up from the Gulf Coast and cause devastating consequences. It could happen with Tropical Storm Nicholas uh, in Texas, dumping what's expected to be about 20 inches of rain right now. Uh, That could migrate further up the coast. One of the paths shows it coming to western North Carolina on the outside. It's exactly what happened with Tropical Storm Fred last month. The pictures of what happened in western North Carolina between August 15th and 18th are almost unbelievable. We do know that the impact was serious. There were 20 inches of rain in Transylvania County. Uh, 23 bridges were closed. East Fork of the Pigeon River crested at 16.2 feet, more than three feet above its all-time high. Uh, By the time the storm was over, there were six people dead, uh, 200 people that had to be rescued, 350 were in shelters, 53,000 people lost power. Early on, there was... um, uh, an initial estimate of damage of uh, 21 million figures ultimately are going to be 10 or more times that Uh, 225 structures uh, were affected by uh, the storm and there have been donations since then to try to help the area put together the pieces the dogwood health trust gave 500,000 to the community foundation of western north carolina duke energy major contributions to uh, small business recovery, um, and other uh, businesses have been philanthropically minded and have been really helpful in helping with the recovery. By September 8th, a major disaster declaration had been issued by the federal government for Avery, Buncombe, Haywood, Madison, Transylvania, Watauga, and Yancey. So the challenge was too much rain, not enough places for it to go, and today we want to talk about what happened, who it happened to, and whether there might be things that we could do in the future that might make it a little less devastating. Our guests are Zeb Smathers, the Canton mayor, who was really at ground zero uh, during the flooding. Zeb, I know you're still busy and still recovering. Really appreciate your making time to talk today. My pleasure. Jeff Howell is the Yancey County Emergency Management Coordinator. He was charged with figuring out who to help and how in real time in a situation that was fast evolving. Jeff, really appreciate your being with us, too. Thanks for having me on. Jim Fox is one of the world's leading experts on weather modeling. He's the original director of the National Environmental Modeling and Analysis Center, uh, sometimes a little bit more easily known as NEMAC. Uh, based out of UNC Asheville, that focuses on how to use science more effectively to guide decision-making. More recently, he's worked as a senior resilience associate with Fernleaf, a private firm that helps communities use data to guide decision-making about things like zoning and development. Both of those organizations are generally, uh, in times of non-COVID, based out of the Collider in Asheville, which is a shared space for climate entrepreneurs. Jim, thanks for being with us. Glad to be here. Thanks for having me. Jim, let me just start with you and just acknowledge that Western North Carolina has seen a lot of flooding. And wonder if you could talk about Tropical Storm Fred as a meteorological and river system event and how that compares to past flooding that Western North Carolina has seen. Yeah, well, we're no strangers to flooding here in the mountains. Um, 
you know, we, we talk about hundred year storms, but here in the mountains, we get hundred year storms about every 20 years. Um, you know, more recently, um, Canton and others in our neighborhood in 2004, you know, um, had similar floods um, due to these tracking hurricanes. The, the problem is, is when the uh, rain comes, it runs up against the mountains and the mountains just kind of wring the moisture out. And so you get a lot more rain uh, high on the mountains, uh, like in Yancey County, Haywood County, Transylvania. Um, you know, they get two, three, four times the amount of rain that we get down in the valley in Asheville. And so you start with a lot of rain uh, all at one time. Um, and then you get this focusing effect of these mountain valleys that just really takes that down off the mountaintops and pours it right down into these um, top streams, uh, the Davidson, uh, the Pigeon, um, you know, Swananoa. And that's really then what causes the water to come up so rapidly. Um, you know, the other thing that happens here in the mountains is it's not just the water coming up, it's the mountain coming down. We have a lot of problems with landslides and mudslides. Uh, Crusoe experienced uh, a major mudslide uh, right across from the campground where, um, you know, people lost their lives, um, you know, due to the water coming up as well, too. Uh, Yancey County is no stranger to that as well, too. So it's this combination of a lot of rain, the mountain topography really causing this. And then we've got this increasing frequency and severity of these types of storms. We're just getting these more and more often. And with the changing climate, the atmosphere can hold a lot more water. So the same type of storm we might've got 20, 30 years ago, there's just a lot more water in one of these storms. And that's what we saw with Fred, a lot of water in a very short period of time. It's, it's not a good situation for our people. Zeb, when did you first realize this was gonna be a really bad event? I mean, you could obviously tell Tropical Storm Fred is coming, but you don't necessarily know where it's going to hit or what it's going to do. When did you first realize this was going to be really serious? About 4.30 that day. Uh, we knew this was heading our way. I had been checking the river and talking to our county and town manager throughout the day. And to be honest, everyone thought that there would be some isolated flooding, but uh, in the day when we started watching landslides happen, retaining walls break. Um, and then we started hearing rumors what was happening up in Crusoe, uh, especially up in the, the upper parts of Crusoe. Uh, we started taking, we, well, we started realizing we had a major event on our hands. My sister actually lives on the river. And, um, you know, about six o'clock that day, I said, Anna, I won't use the language. Uh, I used, but I said, you, you need to leave immediately. And she says, well, the sun's out. The water is you know, it's pretty bad. And I said, something is happening in Crusoe and you need to get out. And I was over there and the water was in the river. 30 minutes later, it was at her doorstep uh, because what happened in Crusoe is basically um, a wave of water started forming. And, and as I've, I've, I've told many people from the headwaters of the pigeon, down to Bear Waters, which is the name of our local brewery, a wave of destruction and water started just coming down the mountain like a bullet train. And by 7.30, 8 o'clock that evening, we knew we were in a major, major uh, destructive situation. Um, we were expecting more deaths. At one point, I got a call from law enforcement said that we, we were planning to have possibly 60 deaths because of this. Uh, that number luckily dropped to six, but still at six families lost. Um, a lot of people have asked me, was this worse than 04? The water, you know, we had two hurricanes back to back in 2004 within 10 days. Actually, my father was mayor then. Um, and the water of this flood was relatively equal to the first hurricane of 04. The difference is the intensity. Uh, I personally observed this. I, this hurricane, I mean, this tropical depression, I've never witnessed water move that quickly um, in, in, in the ways that it did. I mean, the destruction, I mean, I mean, what it did to homes and cars. There were homes that got flooded in 2004, but this go around, those homes aren't standing. 
where they truly move things off their foundation. I mean, the intensity of this storm, uh, plus the death, in my opinion, makes this much worse than 2004. Jeff, you haven't been emergency management coordinator for long, but in a situation like this that's, that's fast evolving, can you just talk about how you made decisions about who you helped and how you helped them and uh, you know, how to triage a situation like this where you don't know exactly what's going to happen and when and where and, and how to help? Yeah, that's, that's the fun about emergency management. It's, uh, you're, you're juggling flaming knives from the, the second that it starts. And I, you know, just what Mayor Smathers had said, the uh, the speed that this, how quickly it came down on us really took a lot of people by surprise because as the storm was really, we really thought that it, we almost thought that it was over. And then I got a call from the National Weather Service that said, you guys need to buckle down. There's a serious sale coming your way. So that that puts the wheels in motion. Uh, of course, all of our fire departments were were fully fully manned, um, but choosing who to help and when that kind of took care of itself because the fire departments could only take care of the people they could get to. Um, we don't have <clears throat> because we're we're totally uh, uh, volunteer fire service throughout the county. Uh, not all of them have uh, swift water rescue teams. And it, there was numerous, numerous occasions where our fire departments uh, were cut off. Um, well, the chief of one of the departments told me that you know, he's been in a lot of burning buildings, but it's a totally different feeling to have his back against a rock wall with the flood water, the river 10 feet from him and no way to get away from him. He said that, that was really terrifying. Um, a lot of times these, these guys were cut off and they were just helping who they could. Sometimes the situation, people made things a lot worse um, because they try to drive through the floodwaters. Um, I almost got hit by a guy that just insisted, I'm going home. And uh, it was kind of um, a little bit of karma because the next day I saw his car was flooded out on the side of the road. And I told him, sir, you, you can't go this way. He said, I've got to get home. You don't know that the road is still there. He said, I'm going home. And I turned around to stop somebody else. And the guy just pushes past me, um, which that's one of the reasons that uh, we had to put the curfew in place. There's so many people out do the sightseeing thing, not understanding that they could get caught in a bad situation themselves or block our first responders from getting there. And that's, that's one of the big challenges that we faced. Mayor, what was the toughest call you had to make during while, while the disaster was actively, actively happening, while the flooding was actively going on? I think it goes to that last point, is realizing that we were, our backs were against the wall. I mean, we were, it happened so quickly. Like in a hurricane, we have days to prepare. I mean, we, we got to a point of isolating people. We lost police cars. But also remember, Canton, our town hall got flooded. Our police department got flooded. Our fire department got flooded. I mean, you could not get from one bank to the other. And this all happened in a matter of an hour. And this is just in the Canton jurisdiction. So, I mean, at one point... Um, and I sort of relatively, I don't like telling the story for a lot of reasons because there were a lot of people with training uh, doing a lot more than me. But there was homes where I have an, uh, an alderman, Ralph Hamlet. Um, he was in his home and I called Ralph. I said, are you out? In similar situation, he said, look, I'm not, I'm not going to go anywhere. The water's fine. I said, Ralph, you got to go. And so I literally, I jumped in the water and, and got him and his neighbor out to safety because the water was coming everywhere and people were truly running of how quickly this water was happening. And so we were piecemealing our emergency response by um, piece by piece. And so the decision makings were all making just very, very quickly. You really had to try to make the right decision out of the gate because you knew you were not going to get a do over. Luckily though, and I had the opportunity to thank the uh, Swift water uh, team 11 out of Wilmington this weekend. Uh, we were able to have some Swift water teams already here Um when the flood was happening and no doubt they helped save some lives because whether it be Crusoe fire department, uh, volunteer fire department center, pigeon, 
our fire department, we were all just overwhelmed. Uh, so luckily we had some friends from the East, but I mean, luckily, and they were here already because I-40 started experiencing landslides. You know, one of the major connections in Canton, Old Asheville Highway, uh, became truly a war zone. And so we, uh, we came very close to being uh, locked off from the rest of the region. Uh, but luckily, we also had some support from uh, the Cherokee Swiftwater and Buncombe Swiftwater. They were on the ground. Uh, and so I think some of the toughest decisions basically was like basically realizing what the, the problem was trying to react as possible, but also knowing what we could and could not do. Because, again, our backs were against the wall, and uh, luckily we had friends from east and west uh, there on the ground to help us. It's a really frightening situation. Just a reminder to those of you who are joining us by LinkedIn Live or Facebook Live or YouTube that you can uh, weigh in with your comments. We're starting to get some of those, and uh, I'll just say I'm, I'm going to hold off on, on the first couple because they, they go to recovery and, and want to focus just a little bit more uh, on the event itself before we move on in that direction. Jeff, I wonder if you could maybe lift up. The, the mayor was talking about some of those kind of unofficial folks who stepped up and, and made a difference. Can you talk about any um, maybe uh, unofficial heroes that, that you saw in Yancey County that day who... Uh, did the right thing and were really helpful to you. That's uh, Mayor Smathers. He mentioned this earlier uh, before I think we came on the air. We're we're mountain folks. Uh, our heroes were everywhere. Everybody helps everybody, regardless of race, creed, color, whatever. That's just what we do, and, that, and sometimes that's the thing that that surprises people that move in from other places. Um, and it, it was everywhere. I don't even know where to start. Uh, everybody was just pitching in, doing what they had to do to get people safely out. Some people didn't do it so safely, and they tried driving through the waters to get to the neighbors. They had to be rescued themselves. Uh, you know, it's, it's good intentions, but uh, that, that's something that we, we just got to keep continually encouraging people, don't drive through water. Um, but we, we have, even in the town of Burnsville, I've never seen water that high in the town. It, it was, it, it was mind boggling, uh, how deep it was. The fire chief coming down Main Street turned me around and he said, you'll never make it up there. Just turn around and go back. And I said, what are you talking about? And he was right. One of the truths about flooding is that water goes from high to low. And one of the truths about zoning and, and uh, where people live is that the low-lying area typically costs less than the high, high areas. Jeff, I'm wondering whether you could talk about who was maybe disproportionately affected by uh, the flooding this time. Yeah, that's... Um is really our biggest problem. We didn't have anywhere near the, the amount of uh, damage to structures uh, that, that Haywood County had. Our big problem is the private roads, bridges, culverts, driveways that uh, you know people will build up high enough to where, you know, chances are their home's not going to be affected. We still did have some of that. But the big problem was so many people still the bridges that uh, that they need to get back and forth to work. They're they're having to park the cars on the other side of the road. And Highway 197 South was a a perfect example of that. That entire river is going to have to be rerouted to build a bridge back. Um, we had 100, 129 homes that were completely isolated at one point. Um, the Department of Transportation, they got in there quickly and put in a temporary uh, bridge. It did take a few days, and, and some folks didn't understand that, but it's, it, it's hard to put something like that in place within 24 hours. Seb, where, where is Canton and, and where's the rest of the county when it comes to recovery as you're beginning to pick up the pieces? Can you kind of give us a status report about where you are almost a month after this? I can, and I want to talk about you know uh, exactly what was just said on the days. I mean, the days following. I mean, 
recovery started immediately. I mean, mountain folk are not going to sit around and wait. The businesses, debris cleanup, that started happening immediately. But also there's another part of recovery, uh, which is not just chainsaws and, and, you know, mud cleanup. It's basically, you know, sticking your hand out uh, without reservations to your neighbor, to someone you may not know, someone not from here, and saying, what can I do to help? And so that recovery on day one, and it continues. And again, talking with New Hanover Fire Department, they were blown away by the sincere community spirit up here. And I don't want to go too deep in politics, but even on the political realm, getting us resources from Raleigh, D.C., you know, Democrats, Republicans, uh, you know, especially I want to say Governor Cooper's office, Senator Tom Tillis, Senator Richard Burr, our local delegation. I mean, it's Democrats and Republicans working together. And and it, uh, Speaker Moore was here. Um, and that's continued. Uh, and, and again, no one's checking who you vote for or what you're feeling on this issue. There has just been a sincere, what can I do to help? How can I help you clean up? Can I get you food? Can I get you water? And so that recovery has continued. Um, you know, we are slowly now that the federal declaration uh, was provided last week. Uh, I'm very happy. We, myself and others, pushed very, very hard all the way into the White House. Uh, a lot of the names I just mentioned, uh, but also uh, Representative Brian Turner out of Buncombe County, Heath Schuler, uh, played a major role in that, but it entirely took way too long. Uh, there's no reason we had to should wait, you know, weeks and weeks to get that declaration uh, to give those resources to our our mountain folk. Uh, but now we're starting to talk about tomorrow. I mean, we're still need to f find out how much money FEMA is going to, to bring us. I've cautioned people, you know, we work very hard to get the federal government here and that's a good thing. And they did, and we deserve to have them here, but the feds are not going to be the silver bullet to solve our problems, especially when it comes to private roads, you know, uh, small businesses. Uh, we're going to have to look to the state. I, I'm, I'm, I'm very, um, excited and have no reservations at our state. Uh, the state house is going to deliver a major relief package for us here in the West, uh, but also our local folks, our leaders, our churches, our nonprofits, the Red Cross, all these groups. It's going to be um, a, a multi-pronged effort to get us back to where we need to be. Uh, but all of that is taking place, but it's all taking place still in this era of cooperation and leadership and togetherness. And, I, and I've told people, look, if that can continue, especially how toxic our political discourse has become, um, let that be one of the legacies of this storm. Uh, that maybe we said, look, there's a time and place for politics, but most of the time uh, we can and our people demand that we find solutions. And so it's tragic that it takes tragedies for us to remember these lessons uh, but that's where we are here in uh, Canton and Haywood County as we recover. As you said, it's going to take a combination of federal and state and local and private support. It's going to take support across the partisan divides. Uh, we're going to have Representative John Bell on in just a minute. Um, and he's going to talk about a bill he has that um, he's a Republican. Uh, bill is endorsed by the Nature Conservancy, the Conservation Fund, and you're seeing some some interesting alliances when it comes to disasters. And I, I think that's one thing that North Carolina has observed over the years is that when there is a disaster, there is this uh, temporary moratorium on politics that, that breaks out. And uh, it's possible in that kind of environment that we could per perhaps uh, make some lasting changes that uh, really make a long-term difference. So more on that in just a minute. But uh, Jim, let me turn to you about uh, NEMAC, uh, this uh, national environmental modeling group that you've directed for so many years. And you've collected for a long time data about vulnerability uh, to flooding. And more recently through Fernleaf, you've developed some software that can help communities figure out what the implications of paving a road is or paving a parking lot is or uh, uh, taking down a forest or, or something like that. Uh, but part of the challenge is that buildable land is scarce in the mountains and a lot of people want to live there. And that means that those who are most vulnerable may be those that have lived there the longest. Uh, when you talk with local governments or hear them talk about trade-offs, 
How does that discussion go? Yeah, well, first of all, we've got a pretty proactive uh, Council of Governments, uh, Land of Sky, who represents uh, the counties here. Uh, they don't cover Yancey, but um, we've got a pretty good idea now with the mapping and support, you know, what happens out in the rural areas as well as the urban centers. That's important because there's a big difference between where people live and where they work. I think, you know, the other thing that you're bringing up is, you know, when people look at a disaster like this and, you know, the mayor and uh, Jeff have both brought this up, is it's not only, you know, where do I work, you know, where do I live, but it's also how do I get between the two that we get so many roads cut off here by, you know, flooding, knocking out a bridge, uh, the landslides, uh, you know, cutting off access as well, too. And so these are the sorts of things that, you know, we have to start looking at. I think also, you know, the, the question you asked about growth is we're growing at a much faster rate than the rest of the state and nation. You know, over the past 10 years, we had a 10% growth rate as compared to about half that nationwide. And we've got a lot of people that are saying, uh, well, you know, the mountains look to be a pretty good place to live. I'm going to get away from either the heat, you know, or the hurricanes and storms hitting the coast. So we also have a lot of new people coming through here that don't know what the dangers are. And we've got a lot of people that like to come here to vacation and, you know, spend some time. These are real challenges for our local governments and emergency managers to really educate those people about some of these dangers as well, too. So, there's a lot of things we can do, you know, with land use planning. Um, but I think, you know, there's other things that are happening. You know, the federal government's recognized this problem and FEMA and Congress have now, you know, have this new funding program that takes 6% of these dollars for national declarations and puts those into resilience planning. Um, you know, FEMA has done a study. You can get a six-time return on your money if you can help people build this resilience before the event happens to, you know, put in larger culverts that don't wash out to, you know, move their homes a little bit further away from the creek to not build as much, you know, right next to the, uh, the creek. The state's investing a lot, too. You know, we're doing a lot more landslide mapping. Uh, the North Carolina Geological Survey has finished the mapping in Polk and Rutherford. They're starting in Transylvania. Half of Haywood is mapped. Uh, we need the other half mapped, though. Uh, these are the sorts of things, you know, that, you know, we're starting to see the dollars coming in from the state government that, you know, we're going to hear about as well, too, this Office of Resilience. And, you know, the governor has uh, put together the whole state plan for, you know, resilience and risk, and it's now being implemented. Um, but we've just all got to be keeping to work together on this. It's like, you know, the mountain spirit of we're all in this together. We all share the watershed. We've, we've got to keep working together on it. Comment from Tony in chat talking about the flood templates. You said that some of those have been reworked. He's saying others have not been uh, and are hopelessly out of date um, and were prepared a long time ago before a lot of things, uh, a lot of things had changed. Uh, you mentioned some of the places that have begun doing that remapping. How far along would you say we are in that process? Well, you know, we're not as far as long as what's changing. <laughs> in other words, we're getting a lot more of these severe, intense storms um, at a faster pace than we can keep up with. Um, I think what Tony's talking about are there several key documents. Uh, there's something called Atlas 14 that NOAA puts out, which are kind of official rainfall. Those are 20 years out of date. FEMA, you know, updated the flood maps here in the mountains right after the 2004 floods, but you just heard what the mayor and Jeff talked about. The intensity of these storms for Fred was even more than 2004. So, you know, how do you keep up with, you know, mapping what the danger of these flood areas or landslide areas? You know, I think we're being as proactive as we can, but there's only so much resources to do that. 
And if you're going to be doing that, you know, where do you start? Um, and, you know, what do you prioritize? And so this is the challenge for us here in the mountains. We have a lot of high danger areas we're trying to catch up, but Tony's right. Um, we just need to put putting a lot more effort into that. But, you know, it's how many resources are available to do that. Mayor, this raises the question that some in the mountains refer to as the Z word. And by that, they don't mean Zeb, um, this idea of zoning. And I'm wondering you know, what your discussions have been in the early days about maybe maybe let's not call it zoning, just fundamentally revisiting how you think about who builds where and how. Well, first, I want to address that point uh, that I was with the sheriff uh, and Governor Cooper on, in Crusoe the, de- the two days after the flood happened. And the sheriff informed me there was our county commissioner who does land survey. And he was actually at this location about a week beforehand. And there was a brand new uh, uh, trailer, you know, very, you know, seemed very new, very high end trailer. And it was nowhere near the 100 year floodplain. He told me this story as we drove by this trailer, as it was upside down and crushed and thrown around. Uh, that goes to show you uh, the challenges we face in remapping uh, the floodway, uh, not just the intensity, but where the water uh, reached. I mean, there was there was parts of the river. It, it truly jumped the road like the road never existed. I mean, the old timers up in Crusoe, there's no one's ever witnessed anything like this. And the intensity of our storms are getting uh, worse. Uh, We know it. We know it exists. And so, yes, we have to take that into planning. As it comes to recovery and uh, the Z word, um, you know, know, obviously in the Canton City limits, uh, we have ordinances uh, for land planning. Uh, The majority of damage from this storm happened outside of jurisdiction in the county. Uh, So there's challenges there between county and town and what we can and cannot do or should do. Um, but in talking about recovery, uh, for me personally, there is no option off the table, uh, when it comes to mitigation, 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 evergreen packaging, our major employer here in, in, in Canton and Haywood County, uh, 1200 jobs. We pride ourselves in being a blue collar manufacturing town. Yes, we have tourism and service, but we pride ourselves on being still in the 21st century in North Carolina, a manufacturing town. Uh, there were uh, mitigation efforts put in down there in 2004 that I think paid off. Uh, so we're going to go back and nothing is off the table uh, to, to protect the property uh, and homes and businesses. Um, and again, we, I, I, I'm very confident we'll have the resources to do that, whether it be from the infrastructure bill, the COVID bill, the flood recovery bills. Uh, nothing is off the table because one of the worst things we can do is be flat-footed. Uh, we un- need to understand what the current environment is, uh, not get lost in the politics of it, but realize uh, this will happen again. You know, when dad was mayor, uh, they said, oh, we had two 500-year floods back-to-back. We're good for another 500 years. Uh, ladies and gentlemen, we made it 17. Uh, and so uh, we need to be innovative. Uh, we need to spend our taxpayer wisely. But uh, to just build back and hope for the best, uh, we're not going to do that. That's not leadership, and that's not what our people expect from us. Thank you, Mayor. One of the people who's taking leadership on this issue is Representative John Bell. Before we turn to him, I just want to give you a little bit of data to back up uh, the bill that he's working on and uh, make sure that uh, it's something that we have a little bit of context on. In North Carolina as a state in 2020, it was the second wettest year that we've had in history. Uh, and this is something that's happening across the state. Since 1950, every county in North Carolina has had at least two major flood events. And there are ideas out there. Um, the uh, Coastal Federation has made a series of recommendations about what can be done. Uh, they point to things like uh, permeable pavement, uh, which is something that the Sierra Nevada Mills River Brewery has tried uh, in the West. And in Swansboro, Swansboro Town Government has tried that. They, they emphasize comprehensive planning, uh, statewide watershed, watershed management, uh, nature-based solutions. Uh, all those are 
things that they're lifting up. And right now, uh, the state's just trying to get its arms around it. And one of the people who's leading those efforts is Representative John Bell. Representative Bell, thank you for being with us. Yeah, it's nice to be with you. Thank you for having me. Um, you're sponsoring a very large bill that is has made it into the House budget, is now part of the negotiation that's going on uh, at a state level. Uh, what started off as House Bill 500 is now part of this, this budget. And as an elected official, it must really hurt for you to see what happens during times of disaster, whether they're in the mountains or in your own district. Well, uh, unfortunately, over the last, uh, I've been in the General Assembly, this is my fifth term, and uh, since I've been elected, we've experienced uh, Hurricane Matthew, Hurricane Florence. Uh, we actually were negotiating the disaster relief package for Hurricane Florence when Tropical Storm Michael came through and hit, um, you know, it came through North Carolina, but it was devastating to uh, my friends in a place I actually used to live down in Panama City Beach, Florida. And then you had um, Hurricane Isaisis, it, it, it just goes on and on. And so, so what we have looked at with House Bill 500 is how can we put forth a comprehensive approach to flood mitigation? We, we know that a dollar we spend today in mitigation efforts really saves about seven or eight dollars in disaster response in the future. And so just to put it in perspective, um, we've been very blessed in our state to have a very strong rainy day reserve to be able to address issues and to help not just, um, uh, well, not just help the coastline, but also uh, our friends in the western part of the state when we were addressing floods. So we put about over, I think, over three billion dollars worth of state response um, to, to try to serve um, our, the needs of the folks that, are, that have been devastated by these disasters. But um, my good friend Chuck McGrady, who's no longer in the General Assembly, uh, him and I have been working very, uh, very close together the last couple of years to put together a, a mitigation strategy. And when he retired last year, he officially passed the torch over to me. And so, um, so, so we, we are, we are moving forward on that. And that's, that, that's what resulted in House Bill 500. So we're showing some highlights of the bill. I wonder if you could just talk about some of the different strategies that are embedded in this. And, and people can see on the screen at least some of the some big picture elements that you're talking about. So, so when we put five, uh, House Bill 500 forward, we, we knew that House Bill 500 would not pass as is. We knew it wouldn't be merged into the budget and overall process because of significant uh, appropriation that goes along with it. But what we wanted to do is put every idea that we could possibly think of that was brought to us on the table for consideration. And that's why you saw the bill being as large as it is. And so our strategy is, is can you look at a large, a large project effort of what we call shovel-ready projects? And, and, and these projects um, are, are, are dams in some smaller areas throughout the state that have just been neglected, or frankly, the small municipalities and communities have not had the funding to, to, to correct those problems. And so that's a portion of the project. We looked at home ownership with Habitat for Humanity. Can we work with Habitat for Humanity along with what's already going on with Rebuilding C to put to put housing in areas um, that that you know more low income housing, working class housing, get them out of the flood areas and put them in areas where we will not have to 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 replace those houses or or, or do a buyout with them. We also looked at issues on the coast with issues in the Piedmont, and also looked at issues in the western part of the state. And, uh, and can we put a reserve in place so when we do have a situation uh, like Hurricane Fred that came through, when we do have a Hurricane Michael, do we have the resources to be able to go in into that reserve, help our Department of Transportation, help our emergency management, but also do FEMA matches? So you saw a lot of that. What we what we have agreed to um, as of last week, and I was able to announce that this weekend at an event I was at, is that the House and Senate did come together over the, the end of last week and the weekend and agree to put forth a $300 million flood mitigation package for the state of North Carolina. It's the largest one that's ever been done. And, and the key for this would be is to put a blueprint in place that we're able to address mitigation efforts and then for us to actually follow the plan. Um, you know, it, it doesn't work when you've got multiple entities trying to do multiple plans and this community is doing this, this community is doing that. Uh, the, the, the people at the lower end of the, the Cape Fear River is doing this, the people at the upper, the, the upper level is doing this, but to put a comprehensive effort in place and, and to put a blueprint on how we address flood mitigation here in the state. And so I'm excited that we're doing that. Um, my, my, my good friend, Senator um, Jim Perry and Senator um, Danny Britt down in Robinson County and uh, with Senator Brent Jackson, we were working on this and I've had a lot of input 
from from not just a lot of coastal legislators, Representative Pat McElrath, Representative Charlie Miller, uh, Representative Ted Davis. Uh, I've, I've met with our Western delegation last week to to look at um, what happened there with Representative Jake Johnson and Representative Pless and so on and so on, Representative Brian Turner. And so this is a total state effort. It's a bipartisan effort, but we know it's an effort that needs to be done. And, and I'm glad that Senator Berger and Speaker Moore understand the urgency and the importance of this and that we're actually going to move forward with this to have a true blueprint for the state. We were talking just a little bit earlier about how disasters bring together people who might not normally agree on a lot of political issues. And uh, this bill that you introduced has been endorsed by the Nature Conservancy and the Conservation Fund. And it seems like a lot of what used to be called common sense solutions, but it's also a, a bunch of different ideas that represent some of the developing best practices that are out there. How did you synthesize through all the ideas that are out there and decide which ones you thought were going to be most important and most impactful? Well, I, I, I joke with a lot of our folks on the environmentalist side because uh, normally they're the folks that, that, that attack me <laughs> or send me uh, letters of record requests in order to sue us. So, so it was very interesting to have everybody at the table working together for a common cause. But it, it does show you how important the issue is in that, you know, when, when, when the water's coming downhill or the water's moving through your neighborhood or the water's rising underneath your feet, it doesn't matter what political party you are. It, it, it's, it's just an issue that, that, that affects everybody. And so, so we, we looked at recommendations from the Department of um, Emergency Management who has done some studies. We took in consideration uh, some nature-based solutions that the Conservancy and others have been put forward and, and what we want to do, it, it goes back to what has happened in North Carolina is we, we've had multiple people doing multiple projects, but there's never been one person, one entity with one plan. And that's what we got to get to. We have to put all these ideas together in a plan that works for our state and, and, not, and not this piece over here, this piece over here, but actually put the puzzle together. And, and that's what our attempt to do, um, to do was with, with House Bill 500 and what we will do with this $300 million package we're going to put forward in a few weeks. How do you find the sweet spot between the proper role of state government? Uh, obviously, FEMA has declared a, a disaster for Western North Carolina for this latest storm. Uh, local government has clear responsibilities. A lot of businesses are stepping in. How do you, as a state legislator, assess the state's role in this? Is it, well, is it that planning function, that comprehensive it's, planning it's, function? It's a part of the overall planning, but the only way this is successful is that if we all work together. And in order for us to work together, we have to communicate. And so if you look at House Bill 500 and then what was put into budget, uh, we have a lot of small towns in eastern North Carolina and throughout North Carolina that frankly do not have the staff. And, and, and I know the mayor knows as well. When, when you're looking at little towns like Fairbluff or Seven Springs in my area, uh, when you've got a town board of three or four people and, and one part-time staff member, you, you don't have the staff to be able to come in and administer these grants and navigate through this process. So we put forth funding, working together with the uh, League of Municipalities, the Council of Governments, and the County Commission Association to actually help these towns have the resources to be able to work with us in this process. Because at the end of the day, the mayor knows his town a whole lot better than I do. And, and so we have to have a collective um, process with this. So it's the state's responsibility, in my opinion, to put forth the blueprint, to, uh, to put forth the blueprint, to put forth the plan, to put the initial funding out and then partner with our counties and municipalities to make sure that the plan is executed. And so, so their input has been very vital in this process. Representative John Bell, thank you for joining us. Really appreciate your taking the time and best of luck in, in working this compromised piece of legislation through. All Absolutely. That. And thank you all for bringing the issue to the forefront and uh, uh, continued prayers to my friends in Western North Carolina. Uh, unfortunately, we've experienced this a lot in Eastern North Carolina, but just know that regardless of where we are in the state, we stand ready to help everyone. All right. Thank you, Representative Bell. Thank you. Well, have a good day. Um, so, Jim, let me turn back to you uh, and ask both Jeff and Zeb to comment on this. Uh, North Carolina State University has actually spent a fair amount of time working with communities trying to figure out how to help them rethink where to build on the back end of these things and, and what we can do through decisions that 
governments make uh, about where and how people can build. But what they found is that it's just a deeply emotional issue. And it's, it's one thing for Jeff, for you to stand on the corner and tell this person that it's a bad idea to drive down that street. But on the other hand, uh, he's an independent minded guy. He's trying to get home and, you know, save his house. And uh, so when it comes right down to it, a lot of these decisions end up being emotional. I was listening to a story about a guy in Houston this weekend who's now had the federal government uh, provide five different bailouts for him for his house. It's gotten flooded five times. He's gotten money from the federal government to rebuild it five times. And he likes living there. Um, how do you how do you deal with the emotions as you as you try to, uh, Jim, go into a community and say, well, here's what the data shows. How do you how do you have that conversation? Yeah, it's a it's a great question. Um, we you know, we, we turn to standard risk frameworks and all of a sudden you get talking about data and science. And that's kind of the first question of like, did you know? But more importantly, you know, what the mayor and Jeff have been talking about is answering kind of the second bigger question of, well, why should you care? You know, what's vulnerable? You know, are we going to be losing our jobs if we don't do some of this? You know, how many of our neighbors are in harm's way? And so you have to get beyond that question to get to this larger question then of, well, what can we do about it? Because most of these decisions are not single individual decisions, right? They are things that we have to do as communities to uh, not only protect individual homes and lives, but, you know, protect our local economy and way of life. And I think that, you know, with these changes going on, we have to keep working with people to be saying, you know, how does this change fit with our normal and our culture? And how can we keep the critical part of what makes us mountain folk, but keep us moving ahead so that we can continue to be mountain folk, right? And I think that that's going to be these continuing conversations. But I think you have to also take some of this energy, you know, right after these floods to have a little bit more of these deeper conversations because we all live in such busy times and so many things are impacting us that you have to look at doing some of these bigger community issues while the memory of the flood is still there uh, because otherwise you, you lose some of that immediacy. So I don't have any easier answers for you, uh, Leslie, um, but you know I think it's just this continual work that we all need to be doing, uh, working together to find that right balance. Jeff and Zeb, you've both heard a lot of ideas floated over the past. I'm sorry, that's not, I'm sorry, that's inappropriate. A lot of ideas have, have been mentioned over the past few weeks uh, about what can be done. Which of those do you think is really going to resonate? And, you know, might, what changes might we see out of this in Yancey County or in the uh, city of Canton? Um, I, I think, you know, Mayor Smathers mentioned it earlier. It's mitigation is key. And I think at some point, you, Leslie, you mentioned the Z word. Uh, I think it's kind of like the E word, the education piece that we've got to get. Um, this, this is problem is not going to be changed in the next five years. This, this is a generational change. And it's going to be getting people to understand where you. I, I, I'm I'm not a big zoning fan myself. I you know I, I like my land and I I like to be able to do what I want to with my land. But there is a there's a responsibility on my part um, to make sure that I'm I'm taking care of this this property and leaving it better for somebody else and not just going in and building whatever I want wherever I want. Um, but the education piece and just getting people to understand there's a right way to do this thing. But then we also have the shortage of buildable land up here as well. It's like Haywood and Yancey County both have uh, some of the highest elevation in the state of North Carolina and everything goes straight up. 
there's there's only so many places that you can realistically build a house in, a, in and stay within a budget. So I, I think that that's where we really need to focus some of our attention, education and mitigation. We've talked a little bit about increased population and uh, the sort of joys of that and the charms of that and the challenges of that. And I think in Western North Carolina, there are some similarities to where I grew up in Eastern North Carolina. I grew up in New Hanover County and one of the popular bumper stickers growing up was welcome to Wrightsville Beach, now go home. And there's always been that kind of ambivalence about, you know, you, you value tourists, you like to have them, you like to have people who are moving in from other places, but they're driving up housing prices, they're building on land, they're creating more impervious surface, that's causing more flooding. And Tony from LinkedIn uh, asked the question about this increased development, increasing amount of impervious surface and its impact on flooding severity and flooding speed. He also notes the the decrease in, in forest cover and the ability that forests have to hold some of that soil um, uh, and some of that water back. And just wondered if you guys could talk a little bit about balancing the pressures of increase of continuing growth and uh, protecting your people. Yeah, I'll, uh, going back to a little bit of a, a question ago, you know, for people to buy in what you're doing, whether it be mitigation or disaster relief, it's what you do on the days that you're not experiencing a disaster like this. And so you have to, as a leader, you have to be sincere and you have to deliver results. So when the time comes and you have to look someone in the eye and says, look, I need you to do this. I need you to trust me on this. This is the right call. Uh, they're not remembering how they were treated or how you failed to deliver things. I mean, a lot of this comes in the leadership and buy-in. And so it's a lot easier telling someone, hey, please don't go up this road when they trust you on how you perform the 364 days prior to that. Uh, the second thing that we're, I'm very uh, starting to talk about, I think it, uh, we experienced it uh, in Hurricane Katrina in New Orleans, uh, in the Ninth Ward, again, a lot of the areas affected were in, are impoverished areas. Every time a disaster hits, I don't care where you are in this country or in this state, people that are in poverty uh, take it the hardest first. Um, but in, in doing that, you know, we have, very, we have many, many displaced families. And if those homes and trailers do not come back, uh, we did not have enough housing in July, uh, more or less now. So, uh, again, keeping that identity and, and look, and we uh, we're very pr uh, proud in Canton that we have remained a mill town and we love bringing in new people and new ideas and new money. But we haven't lost who we are. It's very important for us to remain that. And so there is a balance. So, yes, when you experience disasters like this, uh, you worry not just about the property and lives lost, but how do like we just had an earthquake here, uh, but uh, dropping the phone. Um, how do you, um, you know, go forward through that and, and, you know, get through? But also, yes, I mean, a lot of where this flooding happened was in our deep forest ground. I mean, I've heard, I mean, for lack of better words, rumors that a lot of the water buildup was all the way up towards graveyard fields and Mount Pisgah, these higher elevations. And a lot of the homes that were, that got flooded this time did not get flooded in 2004 but they have been on the river for as long as I have been on this earth. And so again, I think a lot of the new development is, is going to the mountaintops. So again, it, you know, you're looking at development ideas and strategies from the riverbeds all the way to the mountaintops, because it's all connected, especially when you're dealing with mountain mud, uh, the, the a little effect at the top of the mountain uh, can bring a lot of trouble uh, for the ones in the valleys. Jeff, can you maybe give us one lesson that you've learned out of this? One thing you'll take away from a tropical storm, Fred, that that a mistake you won't make next time or uh, something you're going to be working actively to, to change going forward. It ain't over till it's over. Because we we really truly, like I, I think I mentioned this earlier, we thought that the storm was over. Uh, if it hadn't have been for our friends there at the National Weather Service to give me that call to notify the fire chiefs in those two most remote areas and, and the one campground that we had up there. Um, I'm not real sure what would have happened. Um, that, that's 
that that's really it for us. It, it's, uh, you know, not getting complacent, having those early warning systems, um, the, the reverse 911 calls that you can get out to everyone. But for everybody listening, if, if you don't have a landline in your house, you're not necessarily set up for the emergency messaging in your county. Please call them and get signed up with your cell phone. That is super, super, super important, especially for the new folks that are moving in. Um, you're not going to get those alerts if we don't have that number for you. Dr. Fox, people are going to want to continue to build in the mountains. They're going to want to continue to live in the mountains. There are a lot of ideas out there, some of them that uh, Representative Bell has in his bill, others that NEMAC and Fernleaf have lifted up. Um, there's data out there. As you look to the future, is this going to get worse before it gets better? Or are you optimistic that um, we can do some things that are going to mitigate the future effects of serious flooding? Well, <laughs> yeah, we can see these billion dollar disasters uh, keeping, you know, escalating. But, you know, is it going to get worse? Well, I think that that's up to us. Um, I think these are very complex issues. We've got a lot of data, but you can see the willingness of the people on this call to work together. It's going to take all of us with each of our skill sets and each of our passions to be able to solve these issues. And we're not going to be able to go back to what worked 20 years ago. Uh, we're going to have to keep moving forward. I do believe that we care about our communities. We care about our quality of life, that I think that that degree of caring is going to overpace the, um, the disasters that are growing. We're going to find ways to continue to live where we love to live, but also keep our families out of harm's way. Um, so I'm optimistic. It's why I work in this area. It's why we launched our company. Um, this is what it's going to take. Uh, my son and my grandson, his whole family, you know, live here. We're investing in their future. I think it was Jeff that said, you know, it's not just our generation. We're making generational decisions for those ahead. That's what we're investing in. And I'm very optimistic that Asheville, Canton, Yancey County are going to be great places to live uh, well into the future. All right, we're going to have to close there. Dr. Jim Fox, thank you for that. Uh, Dr. Jim Fox, uh, founding director of NEMAC and a principal with Fernleaf, which works on climate prediction. Mayor Zeb Smathers of Canton. Jeff's, Jeff Howell, the emergency management coordinator of Yancey County. Thanks to you all for being part of this. First and Future Live is based on an idea from the Institute for Emerging Issues Communications Director, Greg Hedgepath. It's produced by James Herrick, slides by Renee Potts, uh, social media and chat uh, help from Kirsten Chang. Special thanks today for uh, help and advice from IEI's board chair, Jack Cecil, uh, for his insights, and Shivani Mehta, IEI's Hunt intern, for her research. If you like the show, let your friends know and look for the recording on the IEI YouTube channel and on our website, Emerging Issues. Org. Uh, next time, it has been one of the toughest 18 months in history for North Carolina's churches, mosques, temples, and synagogues. COVID has challenged our communities of faith technologically and financially. It's made mission and service work harder and has challenged our members mentally and spiritually. As churches try to promote back to church Sunday, what lessons have our faith communities learned from the pandemic? We're going to talk with Kylie Foley, who's uh, head of II's Rural Faith Communities Program and the host of our Faith and Community podcast. We'll also be talking to Andy James, the head of the Small Churches and Technology Division of the Presbyterian Church of Eastern North Carolina. And we're going to be looking at how churches and other institutions of faith are recovering post-pandemic and what that means for you. We hope you'll join us on September 28th from 9 to 10 for First and Future Live. I'm Leslie Boney for all of us at the Institute for Emerging Issues at NC State University. Thanks for joining us. See you in the future.
Thank you for listening to First in Future, where emerging ideas take flight. This weekly podcast has been presented by the Institute for Emerging Issues at North Carolina State University. Please visit us online at emergingissues.org.